gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the Hello and welcome back to the Gathering in the Lamp podcast. It's me and Mark this week. Um, big thanks to Dom and Ryan for helping us out last week as our, our schedules just didn't really mesh up very well. Um, we'll we'll touch on the Norwich result and then we'll go and deep deep dive into uh, into the Watford game. Uh, something that probably neither of us really want to do at the moment, but but uh, we'll do so regardless. As always, I'm Regan. You can find me on Twitter at FindFoy and I'm joined by Mark. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's good to be back. Yeah, just last week, just schedules didn't work out. It's a little bit of a rough holiday period for me and whatnot. So, yeah, back to talk about all that's going on with the Norwich result. We'll touch on that quickly and then get to the Watford game and break down what in the hell happened with Aston Villa in that 3-0 defeat. Yeah, so with Norwich, um, we came away with all three points. Um, you know, Jack Grealish ran the show and uh, allowed Conor Horahan to, to score. What, what did you really make of the game? Do you know? Do you think the result was a fair reflection of how Villa played? I'm not sure if it was a fair reflection on how Villa played. I don't think either team played very well in that contest. It was a bit of a scrappy affair. Uh, it seemed like both sets of teams couldn't get, you know, second or third or fourth balls to connect. It, it, it just seemed a little cagey. It seemed exactly like what you'd expect from two teams that are at the bottom of the table. So it doesn't make for the most entertaining brand of football unless you actually support these teams. It's not not really a game for the neutrals whatsoever. But, I th- you know, I'm, I'm going to take three points anyway. We can get them. I think that's going to be the trend for Villa going forward is you're going to have to win. You're probably going to win ugly. Uh, you're going to lose ugly too. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, I – it was a great goal from Horahan. I, I like that Jack is, you know, kind of took it on his shoulders to get into the box and then, you know, slyly passed the ball over to him. And that seems like the, um, the, the set play between Jack and Connor, we've seen it a couple times now where it's like br- break this glass in case of emergency, uh, find, you know, uh, later having Connor Horahan and see if he can slot the ball home. But um, yeah, I don't know. What, what did you think of the Norwich result? Did you think it was a it was a decent three points on the day, or did you think Villa kind of got away with one there? I don't think it was either a good game or a bad game. You know, I think it was just mediocre. I think you know Villa played okay. I think Norwich probably played better and probably deserved something from the game. Um, I thought I thought uh, Ezri Konza and Courtney Horse had a decent game, especially keeping uh, Timu Puki quiet. But, you know, Norwich, Norwich had a good number of opportunities that they really should have put away. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I thought so, too. I thought Conte and House were probably the two best players on the pitch for Villa outside of, like, offensive capability. So as far as defense, um, I think they're two really good young footballers. They're only going to get better with time. Uh, we all know what happened, you know, the next game after Norwich, but I, I think they're going to get better. And I, I, I don't know if, you know, that's necessarily the combination pairing in the heart of defense that we see if Tyron Mings is healthy. Um, Bjorn Ingle seems to have a dip in form. He might still be suffering from that hip injury a little bit. We'll get into that in a little bit, but I, I thought they had wonderful games. Um, like I said, I think, I think they're getting better all the time, but it's just, a, it's just a matter of fact that the Villa supporters staying behind them. And that's the case for for all the players, really. You know, um, you know, social media has been full of people basically saying that Villa didn't recruit well, um, and you know, the 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 halfway point of the season is probably the uh, 
it's probably the, the time that you would expect comments like that to come out. But at the same time, you know, at the start of the season, everyone was saying that we recruited exceptionally well. Um, but it's it's a case of make do and mend at the moment. Obviously, we've got the January uh, transfer window coming up, and we'll probably discuss that a bit more later. But it, it, at the moment, there's there's not a lot that we can do. Um, maybe you know you, you'd expect Dean Smith to make some some wild wide wide scale changes, but you know. It, history says that Dean Smith generally doesn't do that. He's a very streaky manager and we saw that with Villa. We saw we saw him lose a load of games. Um and you know around a similar time to to last season people were calling for his head. Uh and then he went on a 10 win streak. Yeah, it's 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 a tricky one. Like you see all the stuff on social media and if you don't partake in a lot of social media stuff, you're probably better off for it right now with the form the villas in. But most of the time you're seeing this Dean's out of his depth. He's starting to sound like Steve Bruce at his uh, post-match press conferences after a loss. Uh, the players don't want to play for him. You're getting all that kind of like really, really negative, turgid, toxic kind of talk. Uh, I'm not saying it's not warranted. I understand people are very passionate about Aston Villa Football Club, as they should be. The fact of the matter is is that we, we've seen this before from Dean. Uh, yeah, it wasn't the championship last season, but December last year for him wasn't very great either. So um, I, I think it's just one of the things that like you're just going to have to grit your teeth for a while and see what he plans to do as a manager with the management staff around him to get this going. I personally feel that sacking Dean Smith would actually be the wrong move at this juncture in time. You have an entire January to get through. You have some games coming up in the next month, month in about two weeks that you could possibly get points to. And again, you never know what they're going to bring in. Um, I don't know if they're going to spend by and large to try and, you know, uh, fix what's going on, but I do think they're going to bring in some quality. Um, I, I, a tactical change wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, but technically if you actually look at the heat maps from the past two games, Dean actually did kind of change things up with a little bit of a four, two, three, one. It wasn't just a flat four, three, three as we've seen in the past. So I, I, I just think that you got to stick with Dean. We talked about on the, la- on the last podcast that me and you were on about creating a legacy. And even if we go down, he needs to uh, maintain his position as a manager at Aston Villa. I think that's still the case for me, but I know that's not the most popular opinion out there. I mean, if you look at last January, it, t- it took the full month, really. But, um, you know, we signed Tyron Mings on loan. We signed Courtney Hawes on loan. Um, obviously, Tom Carroll was a bit of a, a hit and a miss. In terms of his signing, but um, you know, Dean Dean made you know a good job of the January transfer window, and I'd expect him to do the same this year. Um, but let's 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 talk about the Watford game. You know, we all know that it was one to forget, but um, we we need to discuss it. You know, I feel like we've we've probably been pussyfooting around starting talking about the Watford game because you know no, nobody really wants to talk about it. No, nobody really wants to listen about uh, listen to it, but. You know, it, it was disappointing performance, you know, and, and Villa left Vicarage Road losing 3-0. Yeah, the the performance on a whole, we'll break the game down on a, on a not a minute-by-minute basis, we'll go through all the big stuff that happened in the game, but as a whole, the full-time whistle comes, that's probably one of the worst first-half performances I've seen in quite a long time from any Aston Villa team. 
Um, when, when you make Watford look like 2010 Barcelona, something's wrong. Smith alluded to that after the game, that they lost that game in the first half. For me, I think they lost that game in the first 30 minutes. I just think that it wasn't good enough. I don't think the effort was there. I don't think the energy was there. There's a lot of things that go into that. You know, not having John McGinn on the pitch that gives a bunch of energy. I do think that he has a leadership ability to him because he plays with such an intense uh, nature that other people want to, you know, when you see a player on a, in a sport and he's, he's, you can tell he's giving it all he's got, it spurs you on a little bit. So I think just John McGinn being John McGinn, I think that helps out the team a lot. You're also missing Tyrod Mings, which is a big part of the heart of the defense. So I just think a lot of things went wrong. I just don't understand why they went so wrong against Watford. They are a good team, and we all know they got a brand-new manager in Pearson, and he is a you know pretty damn good manager like uh, you hear multiple different footballers that have, uh, you know, been on teams that he's managed say that he's he's a real motivator. He's a real man management kind of guy, um, always in your ear, always talking to you, that kind of thing. So when you have a manager like that and a team against Watford who's nailed down to the bottom of the table and they're starting to come alive. So I just think Aston Villa was a victim of that. And for one reason or other, they just didn't show up on the day. Yeah, I mean, from the opening whistle, you know, Watford looked more astute on the ball, knew where each other were. Um and and generally knew that they'd, they'd got to get something from this game. Uh, I was quite impressed with, uh, I can say his name, but I can't spell it, uh, Gerard Delafeu. Um I thought, the, you know, especially the opening kind of 20, 25 minutes, I thought he was he was going to cause some real issues for uh, Ahmed Al-Mohamedi. Um, and really he did, you know, he was he was getting played inside by Elmo. Um, got a couple of chances away, sprayed the ball out wide for uh, Ismail Assar. And I thought that he was going to be the 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 big uh, thorn in uh, Villa's side against Watford, but obviously it turned out to be someone else. Uh, we'll get onto that a bit later. Um, but you know, the the first big chance of the game came for Villa in the twenty fifth minute. Um, you know, Hurahan played in a cross, and uh, Wesley was there in an absolutely outstanding position. You know, it was probably the best position I've seen him at the end of a cross, other than the one that he scored against Norwich. Um, and he really should be scoring, you know. He heads it towards goal, and Ben Foster did well to get a foot on it and turn it around, uh, turn it away from goal. You know, do you reckon this is probably the best chance Wesley's had since going cold in front of goal? I think it was. I think he saw a couple other times where he he had a had a chance to score, albeit it wasn't from a cross or things of that nature. But man, this like legitimately angered me that he didn't put this ball in the back of the net. And um, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but looking back on it, I think that it changes the complexion of the game if Villa end up going up first in this game with this goal from Wesley. Now, I'm not dismissing that it wasn't a great save by Ben Foster. It was a great save. Uh, it's basically almost point blank. You know, you don't know where that ball's coming off of someone's head with a cross like that. So, you know, I, I'll give my respect where it's due to Foster, but uh, for Wesley to break his goal-scoring duck in, in the Premier League and getting a chance like that. Those don't happen all the time, so he needs to cash in on those. Uh, it actually made me rather angry to watch that it didn't, but then again, you know, on the other side of it, it's, it, it was a really, really nice save from Foster. I was going to say, do you, do you blame Wesley for that, or do you, do you praise Foster? I th- I think it, the blame. I mean, it's it's going to be biased either which way. I, I think the blame has to go to Wesley because um, he's not scoring. So when you're in positions to score, and it seems like that's you know he's in a prime position to where I mean he's he's got either which side of the net to operate with on that header. Um, and like I, I'm not anybody to start slandering paid professional athletes, but at the same point in time, you got to score that. You, you know you know how the recent form of your team. You just have to, and the fact that he didn't, I, I mean, 
everyone talks about getting a striker in January. That's one of the reasons why we have to go get a striker in January. You have to put those opportunities away. See, it made me think of uh, when we were playing Newcastle and we won. Um, and Wesley had a chance and Dubravka saved it. Um, and personally, I think the Dubravka save was more Wesley's fault and less of greatness from Dubravka, whereas this game in against Watford, I think it was less Wesley's fault and more um, brilliance from Ben Foster, you know, um, I think at the at, at the speed that ball's coming in and at the speed that Wesley's getting on the end of it, I don't think he has any choice but to 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 literally head it straight ahead. You know, um, if he tries if he tries to you know put it into the bottom left, bottom right, or whatever, that ball's probably skewing off the top of his head and going over the bar. So I think he did well to get it on target, but um, I think I think you've got to give. Foster the credit where it's due, you know. I did, I did initially praise Dubravka for his save against Wesley, but you know, looking back on it, Wesley should be scoring that. But I, I'm not too sure about this one. Yeah, and I was talking to a couple of people in the pub about it, and they said, you know, any which way that he might have headed that goal, it probably would have, it probably would have glanced or grazed off the top of his head or the side of his head, and it would have went out for a goal kick anyway. I, I think me saying that I blame Wesley more than I give respect to Foster on the goal is because I just want him to succeed so bad. Um, as I'm sure many other people do as well. I, I just, when you're in prime opportunities like that, you're not scoring goals. You only want to see this player score goals. So I, it's probably a little bit of, of my own personal um, feeling of just what the hell, like get the ball in the back of the net. You could have changed the entire landscape of the game. Yeah, I mean, you know, people, people are sitting and complaining about Wesley, but there's one thing I have to say. At least he's not Joe Linton. Yeah, that's that's a fair that's a fair shout. At least he's not Joe Linton because I I mean I've seen Newcastle games and that I believe me it it does get worse than Wesley. It does believe me it does. I mean you know Newcastle are a lot safer than uh, Villa are at the moment, but you know uh, Joe Linton has played the exact same exact same amount of games as Wesley and uh, I think he scored one goal. Yeah, and it's a problem for Newcastle supporters. I have a couple couple of my mates that are Newcastle supporters that just tried and true, been through the whole the whole thing over the years. But yeah, they they even said they're like, we, we, I would trade you Joe Linton for Wesley straight up right now, just for the fact that Wesley actually tries. He actually pushes, you know, the back line. He actually tries to you know pressure and you know get things happening that way. And we've seen it. Like that was my only knock on Wesley during the entire Watford game is what he didn't score a goal. Other than that, I thought his work weight rate was a lot better than we've seen in games past. So I, I think he's he's. I, I, I sound like I'm just a broken record. Like he is getting there, quote unquote, getting there. But like now we need it to be there. Um, and I, 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 I just really wanted him to score that goal. I, I think that it would honestly just take the win right out of Watford sales if he would have scored that goal in that moment. Yeah, and I mean, you know, take a look at where Villa are. We're uh, what 18th, um, one point away from safety. I think. Yeah. 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 yeah one point away from safety. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, we're newly promoted. Did anyone expect us to be anywhere else? You know, uh, I, uh, things need things need to improve, but at the same time, I think there needs to be a bit of a reality check. Look at look at Arsenal. Arsenal are six points ahead uh, above the relegation zone at the moment. That's an issue, and obviously they've they've been through the uh, the whole the whole manager mill already. You know, Arsenal Arsenal sitting six points above the the relegation zone is a is a big issue for that club. 
Villa sitting in the relegation zone with a lot of games still to play and a January transfer window isn't the end of the world just yet. Yeah, me and you talked about it, you know, before we started recording. Like, I think you're seeing a lot of the result of people who saw the amount of money that Villa spent in the summer and automatically just decided for one reason or another that that put Villa in the top eight or even top 10 teams in the Premier League. And it just doesn't work that way all the time. There's some teams that are, are exceptions to that. We've seen that. Good for them. My focus is not on that. My focus is on Aston Villa Football Club. So I just think that you're getting a lot of people who wanted to believe because of the majesty of last season. They really, really had it set in their hearts and in their minds that spending all this money getting these players in would all of a sudden catapult us into the upper echelon of the Premier League. And I know for a fact that you and I, wrote articles and talked on podcasts when we were spending this money about that. No 17th is fine. Effectively 17th is mission accomplished. Stay up in the league. You need to get two to three years into the premier league and then you can start having all the finance and everything go your way and be able to build something great. Um, I, I'm, I still hold that opinion. I know you still hold that opinion, but it seems like the people who thought that we were going to qualify for Europe or that we were going to go far, you know, high up the table, just because we spent a lot of money having to rebuild a squad, there's egg on their face now. And now they're pissed off and now they're on social media. And now they're saying all these crazy outlandish things. It's just, this, this is, this was ultimately the way the season was going to go. I, I don't see a universe wherever Villa spent that money, brought in these kinds of players, and all of a sudden they were world beaters, and all of a sudden we were back to the glory days. I just, it, I know it breaks people's hearts, and I know it's not fun to hear, but you have to settle down. You have to temper and calm down. It's just, you know, not to rant about it, but it's just, it's really hard to see and understand where these people's minds are when they start critiquing certain things about this team. The criticisms do. The team's not playing well, but you know, I, I think it really is compounded of the fact that they thought we spent money, and all of a sudden we're going to. Be a great team yeah i mean it's one of it's one of those things isn't it you, you've there's that air of expectation because it's aston villa um and you know the results are disappointing and you know people say things in the heat of the moment you know um the, the we both spoke to each other during and after the watford game and it was a case of you know that, that was disgusting that was horrible blah 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 but you know, you 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 feel sad for a day, and then you get over it, and you look at it without the 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 lost tinted glasses on, and you say, okay, generally we're quite poor. How do we improve? You don't sit there and think, oh, Dean Smith needs to go. It just does. It doesn't make sense. You know. I mean, you know, perhaps you know, look at look at the end of February or something, and you know, if we've not won a game to that point then you you know perhaps have a look at it but you know we've we've said he still needs to be here even if we go down because he's the probably the manager that's best equipped to bring us back up if we were to go down but regardless let's digress um and get back to the Watford game you can tell we really don't want to talk about this because we've avoided it a lot yeah we keep we keep yeah we keep putting it off <laughs> um Watford Obviously, ended up asserting their dominance as the first half was coming to a close, and it was a, uh, it was Blues fan Troy Deeney who found the back of the net in the forty-second minute with a low strike. Um, Concer gave the ball away on the edge of the box, um, and you know I think it was Decore um, hammered a, hammered a shot towards Heaton, and Heaton spills it, and and Deeney's there to a finish, and you know. To me, I think Heaton needs to do better there. You know, obviously he's on the floor as Tierney strikes, and Heaton gets a touch to it, but 
I think the the touch that he gets, it's such an odd touch. It like bounces on off his underarm, and uh, Courtney Horse is right behind him. And if if that ball just goes under his arm, Horse has cleared that off the line. I feel. Um, so I think I think that deflection was rather unfortunate for Heaton and obviously rather unfortunate for Villa. Yeah, it was, and I, it was always going to be Troy Deeney. I I had said it to a couple of my friends that were asking me about what I felt for the Watford game. I was like, if anyone's scoring, it's going to be Troy. Um, and it's it's no knock on him. I, I I think he's I think he's a lot nicer of a guy than people give him credit for. I just think that he has that little bit of competitive spirit that kind of comes off of as him being a little rude sometimes. But I, I do think he's a decent footballer. I think that he's probably Watford's way forward. But, I, yeah, I, I don't know what Heaton's really supposed to do there. Like you said, like the save was a little skewed, and then it, you know, the, the second attempt from Deeney goes right underneath him. Um, so I think – I mean, it was just coming. Yeah, you can feel it. You can feel that that momentum was just on their side. You know, they had, they had old Uncle Mo right on their backs, and they were able to, to do what they were set out to do, which was just unsettle Villa. Villa couldn't get the ball wide. They couldn't string together two or three passes. They were clearing balls. They were chopping the clearances. It was only falling 10 yards outside of the, of the penalty area and stuff. So it was it was absolutely shambolic from Villa in that first half. And it just it, it, it made universal sense that Troy Deeney would be the man at the end of the first goal for Wofford. Yeah, and you know the second half wasn't much better either. Um, both both teams made a substitution. Will Hughes was uh, replaced by Nathaniel Chaloba um, as he ended the first half with a bit of a back injury, and uh, Hotter made way for Anwar Al Ghazi. Hotter gave a bit of a disappointing account of himself in the first half. Really, um, he couldn't get past any Watford defenders. looked looked uh, quite slow. He was lost defensively and offensively. Um, and he didn't really have any chemistry with El Mahamedi either. You know, do, do you think the substitution was warranted for for Hotter? I think it was very warranted. He just didn't look like he was ever going to get into that game. Um, he he was having serious serious problems with Elmo, Elmo on that right hand side, and we've seen other wingers play in that position. We've seen Trezeguet play there. We've played out seen El Ghazi play there, even with um, uh with Ahmed Mohamedi standing behind them. And you always get those like underlap overlap runs and Elmo usually tries to, you know, find some space for him so they can run forward on that, on that right flank. Uh, there was none of that. Hada just didn't seem like he was uh, not to say he wasn't interested he was out there and he, he was trying to do things just wasn't coming off for him. Um, I don't think he's a winger. I think he plays as a central attacking mid. I think, you know, I'm not saying for a radical change and for him to start there. Um, but I think that that, that would be more, in, in his locker and at realm of possibility, uh, I you know in the championship I know that he was played as a right winger. Sometimes he would get pulled into the middle a little bit, um, but I think that's probably his best position if he is going to play in the Premier League. I don't think he has what it takes to be a winger because he just gets trapped down too easily. Uh, you know, defenders are closing closing him down a lot more often. Um, so. I just he just didn't have it, and it, it was a change that needed to happen, you know. And I I, I don't know for me though, I would have preferred to see El Ghazi actually start the game instead of coming in off the bench. It's it's been a weird one for me because I think you know Trezeguet has deserve, deserved to start games, um, especially I think he scored three three games in a row, um, and I think that started with the Liverpool loss, um, but you know it, that. The opportunity to capitalise on good form has gone now because Dean left him on the bench, and obviously you've got to uh, you've got to give the, the manager his due and and say you know obviously he made that decision for some reason maybe he wasn't training well, 
obviously you don't know, but um, I, I I would have probably started Trezeguet um, to to move on from from the the whole hotter substitution. Um, the, the the what could have been a turning point uh, in the second half was uh, Adrian Mariapa. Uh, being sent off, he was he was given a yellow card in the fifty first minute for a foul on Jack Grealish. Um, I think he pulled Jack Damon as uh, Jack looked to break on a counter attack, and then I think only five minutes later he uh, he found himself in a fifty fifty challenge with Lansbury and was given his second yellow card of the game in an early shower. What do you think the the foul justified a second yellow or? I uh, know for me, I, I don't think he touched Lansbury at all. I think it was a 50-50 challenge. Both men went in as fast as they could. Uh, that's what you want to see from, from footballers, especially at the Premier League level. I think Lansbury just got out of the way. And I know it was like, I think it was looked at from BAR, if I can remember correctly. I think it was looked at. And uh, they agreed that it, it was a little bit of an egregious tackle. I didn't think so. I think uh, for me, if I was the referee on the day, I would have went to him and be like, all right, like you know you're cautioned already. I know you really didn't get a big piece of them. Just calm down. So I, I actually didn't really, honestly, didn't think that that was a second yellow. I didn't think it deserved him being sent off at all. And then the the game kind of descended into a bit of a fanfare, didn't it? You know, um, there were shades of leads all over it. Um, as uh, I think uh, Target was was sat on the floor, crutching his hamstring, um, and the play didn't stop. Um, and it allowed it allowed Deeney to break into the box, and obviously Douglas Louise is a bit aggrieved that Watford haven't put the ball out of play, and he just nudges, uh, or barges rather, Troy Deeney to the floor, um, and and the referee awards a penalty. You know, VAR steps in, confirms that Louise impeded Deeney, and and that the correct call call was made, and obviously Deeney steps up and and puts the uh, puts the penalty away, and really puts Watford out of reach at that point, because Villa just weren't playing well, and didn't look like scoring at any point in the game. Yeah, I, I don't get all the calls for some Villa supporters to say that like the referee should have stopped the game for Target being on the deck. I, I just don't, you're not always going to get that call, you have to play to the whistle, and you know, as far as Douglas Louise barging in and then uh just shoulder to shoulder contact in the box you got to have cooler head than that and i know he was probably real frustrated that you know no one kicked the ball out the referee didn't blow the whistle because target was on the ground or anything like that but you can't just go barging in there and go shoulder to shoulder especially like especially a player that size like you have to be cognitive of who you're going up against like obviously you know he's a big man so you put any type of pressure on him shoulder to shoulder he's going to fall down it's it's just sportsmanship that's just the way it goes like you, you know you play play the game to get calls in your favor and uh, Deeney's going to figure out a, a way to make that look much, much worse than it is. And I know, again, this was looked at from VAR, and it should have been called a penalty. Uh, there, there was he, Douglas Louise wasn't even attempting to play the ball. He was just trying to put Deeney on the deck because he was upset. And I, I get you're upset, and I know that Louise is a fiery guy. We've seen some of the, you know, the, the things about him. He's a little bit, you know, he's got that kind of attitude in him. So I, I just... I, I think it was a penalty, and it's it was a shame. I, I think that cooler heads have to prevail at that point in time, and you either let him, you know, have his shot on target, or you continue to play when one of your players are down. We we can't be having this, you know, a team full of players that are like, oh no, he's down. We're just going to stop, and we're flat footed. Like no, like you're supposed to learn from that from the whole Leeds thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Dean Smith looked rather animated at the decision. Um, I I can't really remember what he said. It was something along the lines of bleeping something shit um and you know he, he had every right to be aggrieved by the decision but at the same time 
Um, you'd have think that, that he'd have, he'd have uh, you know, said to his players, you know, I don't want a repeat of, of, of Leeds. And obviously a lot of the players that are playing for the club at the moment weren't there. But it was it was a pretty viral thing. You'd have thought that um, you know maybe some of the players would have would have uh, would have seen it, and if not, you'd have think Dean would have said, "Okay, if anyone's down, our own player or uh, anyone anyone else's, put the ball out of play." Um, but keep keep wary if the if the other team are in possession. Yeah, it was such a viral thing that whole you know absolute. Just crazy situation that happened with Leeds last season. And yeah, you're right. There was a lot of squad turnovers, so maybe they're not aware of it. But I, you, you have to play till the whistle. And you know, we're we're I'm, I'm listening to these other Villa podcasts and seeing all the all these opinions on social media about it. Uh, I just think that you ha- you have to play to the whistle. I I know these players are taught that from a very young age. Um, it just it's you ha- that's what like one of the basic things that you have to always keep in your mind that you, you know you play to the whistle and it doesn't matter if you have two or three men down on the pitch you still got to d- go do your job until the until the referee blows his whistle you, you have to continue you have to you know go go all out and there was just none of that in the Watford game it seemed like energy levels were low it was very lethargic you know it just it wasn't a fun watch and it, it was concerning it, and I I just you know, in a case of this with Louise giving off the penalty, it just it was it was classic Aston Villa this season. You know, you, you get a man advantage, and it as soon as it happened, I know I'm not the only one who thought this. I was like, okay, here we go, we're going to ship a goal or two, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's mental toughness. I don't know if it's preparation. I have no idea what it is, but it's starting to get a little old. I, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of tired of seeing it. Yeah, and obviously, you know, um, when it rains on Villa, it seems to pour. You know. Um, just, I think it was four, four or five minutes later after the after the penalty, seventy uh, first minute, I think it was. The drama continued, and uh, Jack, Jack Jack Grealish was dispossessed of the ball uh, by Kapue or Kapue, um, and the referee waved waved to play on. Uh, Kapue races forward, picks out his Melisar at the back post, who fires a low shot past Tom Eaton and makes it three nil. You know, three nil down to a relegation rival when you've got the man advantage is is a little embarrassing. What were, what were you kind of thinking? What were your thoughts after the third goal? Uh, find a way to score one because now this becomes a game that you need the goal differential to get get cut down a little bit. I didn't have it in my heart at any point in time at three nil down that Villa were going to come back and win this game, but I would have liked them to see them get a goal to at least you know cut down on that goal differential. And that's that's just me having that huge massive belief in, in my heart that seventeenth. If you, if you get seventeenth on, on on GD, that's still that's still a you know a reasonably successful season for the place that Aston Villa is right now. Um, I it, it was embarrassing. There, there's no two ways about it. I, I was embarrassed. There was people around me that support you know all kinds of different clubs. They were embarrassed for me because they see the look on my face. They see the scoreline. You know, it's no disrespect to Watford, but the the players that Villa have, they should be able to give Watford a game, even though it's away, even though it's a Vicarage Road, but still like they just didn't show up. Like nobody showed up. Like everybody had a really, really underwhelming game. Some of these players aren't able to um, like string together performances. We'll see like a, a one game where they're really, really good. And then the next game they're, they're nowhere to be found. So like, that's, it's just concerning. And like when, when you're that embarrassed about it, like, I mean, you can probably hear it in the tone of both of our voices. Like this is, this was terrible. No one wanted to see this happen. Um, it, there just has to be some kind of shake up. You know, Dean's got to come up with, with a couple fresh ideas. Um, you know some of the inclusions of the squad, and I get that they played two days prior to the Watford game. But like some of the inclusions of the squad, I would much rather him start like Connor Horahane and have to drag him off on the 60th minute because he's knackered than you know. St- I, I don't know. There's just there's, there's so much to think about 
of, of like like Henry Lansbury being in, in the squad. And yes, we know Henry can pick out a pass, but he, he was for all accounts absent for the entire Watford game. Like it, it, he didn't pass the ball. Well, his percentages were bad. He was bad in defense. Uh, he, he couldn't spot a man out wide. Uh, he was trying these cute little through balls to try and upset the fullbacks. It wasn't working. I, I don't know. It was, it was just, it was starting to get to the point where I'm like, have you guys ever even met each other before? <laughs> For, for me, I was quite shocked to see that Henry Lansbury was the, the like the centre attacking midfielder in the in the uh, in the four three two one four two three one. Sorry, um, you know we had we had Jack either on the left or right sided switch, uh, and and Hotter mainly on the right um, with with Lansbury in the middle. And really, I'd have expected Hurahan to take that role and Lansbury to to take the more holding role next to Douglas Louise. Um, you know, Lansbury seems like he's got a bit more grit about him in terms of the tackle, but Connor has the ability to pick out a better pass and a better shot on him. So that was that was a bit of an odd decision for me. No, I I agree with you. I I think that if Dean is actually good, because this is the second game in a row now where he's he's tried a a, a pretty. A, I don't want to say lackadaisical because that makes it seem like it, it like the players weren't like into it or something like that. But it has been a four two three one. You know there really hasn't been a, a central defensive mid back there. He's trying to be a little bit more forward with a central attacking mid, and that's what we saw Lansbury try to do. But I agree with you. For me, I'd rather have Jorge in there, um, especially you know him being a predominantly left footed player. Um, there's areas of the field I think that that Villa are prominent on are in the flanks and those little soft spaces between the actual fullback and the winger so I'd, I'd like to see Connor be given a shot there to see if he can do any better but like Lansbury just didn't look good there and I agree with you he should be played a little bit more far back I think he does have a tackle on him he does have long ball ability to pass as well but I just don't think he's the man to sit in that position I don't think so something I want to touch on as well is that we seem to be forcing the ball out wide a lot um the amount of times I've seen it, and it, it it shades of, of of Scott Hogan again. You know, you you'll see him make that run, and and it won't. You know, it hasn't paid off, or the the ball's just not played to him. And to, at the start of this game, I saw Wesley kind of you know waiting to make a run and trying to keep himself onside. And the ball had either be played back into uh, you know Louise or or Hurahan or El Mohammadi if he wasn't already racing up the, foot, up the pitch, or out wide. And you know we, we, the ball always seems to end up by wide, no matter who we're playing against. You know sometimes it has paid off, but generally I, I don't like the fact that we're relying so much from crosses because crosses statistically aren't aren't necessarily the best way to be scoring. Um, I can't remember. It was earlier in the season, um, but I, I was looking at like. Um, uh, it was the accuracy of our of like El Mohammadi's crosses and targets crosses and stuff like that. Um, and I was reading something about like that 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 crossing's kind of a bit dead uh, nowadays. And it's generally pretty true because for most teams, you'll look at their strikers and their striker. I mean, look at Aguero. Aguero is probably like five foot ten, five foot eleven. Um, he can still win a ball in the air, but he much prefers the ball played into his feet. Um, and for for me, I think we need to move away from from trying to cross the ball into the box because the amount of attacks that we do actually have that that just don't come off um, via crosses is is outstanding um, or astounding, should I say? And 
another thing as well is how how much we try and overplay the ball when we've got a shooting opportunity. Yeah, I, for me, I, like you talk about, like the shooting opportunity. It seems like no one wants that ball with their feet. Sometimes it seems like it's like all of a sudden Aston Villa, you know, from the Midlands of England, wants to try and play like ticky tack of football when they're in the penalty area. Just get the damn thing away. Like you just, just. I mean, I I would rather see a shot get blocked six times than see it passed back to the flank, back to the middle, back to the left fullback, back to the center, back to Heaton, hoof ball up. Wesley can't win the ball in the air. Ball goes down. You know what I mean? It just seems like it's like over and over again. That's kind of what happens. And alluding to what you said about the play down the wings, I think that's been found out. I think people know that that's what Villa try to do. I actually think that's a reason why Hada was taken off so you know at halftime is because he was like, well, shit, this is my bread and butter. Um, I if I can't exploit that right soft area on the field, the exact same place where we've seen. Um, Elmo uh, put that cross in at Wembley to to win the playoff final, and it hits El Ghazi in the shoulder and goes in. That's what he does all the time. It happens on the left and right hand side of the pitch. That soft little area, it's almost like by the corner of the eighteen. That's where he wants balls to come in from, and that that's great in theory. And you know, if that's something that you want to do as a coach, go for it. But sometimes it seems like that's found out. And I think with Hada coming off, and there wasn't any chemistry there with Elmo. Granted, Hada did still have a pretty underwhelming performance. It was disappointing by and large. But if if that's not working, you need a plan B. And I, I don't know. Can you imagine this Villa team with who they have in the midfield actually trying to, to play through the middle? I think that might work again I'm I'm not a professional head coach but I I would like to see the change of being more emphasis on running through the middle with the ball but if you're going to do that like you probably need to move Jack Grealish back into a midfielder center attacking mid role that's just my opinion how do you feel about it I'd like I'd like to forego wingers altogether really Um, and I'd probably like to see a diamond like the one that Leicester played against us and it absolutely teared us a new one Um, but for that we need a second striker to come in Um, you know, we, we we need Wesley to act like, and I've I've mentioned this before when we were talking about potential transfer targets, and I mentioned uh, Sean Voiceman. Um, but we need we need Wesley to be acting like the Ionacho in that formation, and we need a Vardy esque striker. Um, you know, Jack Grealish playing the Madison role in the central position. Um, two central midfielders likely. I don't know, Horahan and McGinn, or McGinn and Louise, whoever, and then a holding midfielder of Nakamba. Um, and then, obviously, you've got your, your full-backs and your, your centre-backs. And I think that would work, but then, you know, why not Why not try it out when we've got, you know, a, a player that could play in a striker role, like Al Ghazi? You know, it's one of those things, it's one of those things that you don't know until you've tried it. Whether you know Dane Smith thinks that Wesley uh, that El Ghazi doesn't have the, the the you know the physicality to play as a striker, I don't know. Um, but something something does need to happen, I think. Um, let's let's talk about the centre backs. Actually, uh, Courtney Hawes and Ezra Concer, and obviously they've been afforded a fair bit of playing time with uh, with Bjorn Engels having a bit of a, a bad run of form, and he's he's still he's probably still recovering from his injuries, um, and obviously the injuries to Tyrone Mings. Um, you wrote about them making a, a real statement of, of of possibly belonging in the Premier League after the Norwich victory, and then obviously they looked bang average against Watford, which seems to be the case any time we write anything positive, we usually get egg on our faces uh, the game after. Um, so why why does there seem to just be like a consistent inconsistency across the squad at the moment? You know, 
Consor are the third, third and fourth centre backs. James Chester's not getting given any game time. Do you think that Consor and Hawes are the the right partnership going forward before the return of Mings, or or is there someone at some and some other combination that we could go with? I think Dean loves his young players. We all knew that whenever he got hired as the Aston Villa head coach. So I think that Consor and House are going to continue to be that combination until uh, Ingles either decides that he doesn't want to be in this bad run of form. But again, I do think that he has a little bit of a, a an injury problem still. Uh, all they said was he had a problem with his hip and he had injections. So if he had some kind of massive bruise on his hip or something like that, and he just wasn't into it, maybe they tried to rush him back a little bit. So, you know, I, I just – he. Since coming back from injury, Bjorn Ingles hasn't looked like Bjorn Ingles, so I don't I don't question why Dean would have um, House and Kansa as, as the defensive pairing. I think that's what you're going to see against Burnley still. I know people probably aren't happy with it. Um, I still stand by my article that I thought that Kansa and House both had pretty, pretty good games against Norwich. I understand the level of the competition. I think a lot of people thought that I was saying that they are Premier League-like standouts. Uh, not standouts, I just think that they have proven that they can play in this league. Not saying that they're always going to play well. Not saying that they're going to be, you know, turn in to be defensive players of the year or anything like that. But I do think that they can definitely get better as time goes on, and I think that they're going to be the formation at least until Tyron Mings comes back. I think, again, I think there's something going on with Ingles that we may not know about. So, I, I I think that that's your uh, defensive partnership going forward until Mings returns from his injury. Yeah, I mean, you know, Villa Villa have looked to be missing Mings and John McGinn, uh, who obviously are both injured. Uh, McGinn's going to probably miss miss until mid mid to late February, if even maybe early March. Uh, but Mings should be back relatively soon. He's possibly uh, in contention to start against Burnley. Um, you know they were both looking a bit, little bit iffy uh, before their injuries. But you know they say they, they don't know what you've got until it's gone. Has this happened to Villa in the case of McGinn, uh, McGinn and Mings? I think it has, and I know that they were getting a fair bit of criticism about their uh, their current play. People were saying that Mings looked he was being too cute on the ball, myself included. I, I don't like when he gets real, real cute on the ball. In certain situations, it makes sense. Others, you don't need to put on that kind of show. Um, and, again, people were asking, how is he suffering with an injury? And then we find out he does have an injury or, you know, just little niggles and things like that. And then he, you know, ends up with a really, really nasty fracture. Um, so, yeah, I think it is one of those cases you don't know how good you have it until you don't have it anymore. And I think, you know, like I said earlier, um, McGinn, I just think his energy level makes other people want to try and match that on the field of play. I think with Mings, he's a bit of a leader back there. He can keep the defense organized. So now I, th- I think that's another reason why you're seeing El Mohamedy come back into the heart of defense to kind of sub out Gilbert a little bit more because you need somebody back there who's going to take on that leadership role. Um, Elmo is obviously experienced. He's, he's much, much older than many of the players on this team. So that's probably why Dino is putting him out there as the right back. But yeah, I, I think that when you miss two players, and, and you have to remember, like they talked about when, when you know, Aston Villa was spending all this money, Dean Smith and Perslow would say, oh, we kept the spine of the team together. Mings and McGinn are, are two very, very vital vertebrae in the spine of this team. They were last year. They were going to be this year. They have been this year. So missing two of those, and you're missing two of your major, major cogs in the machine that you want to call the spine, that's going to throw any team in the whack. That's going to, that's going to throw form right out the window and everything. I'm not saying we're relying on only two, two or three players you know, in Aston Villa, but these are two big, big losses to me, and I think you're starting to see it on the pitch. For me, I think we're missing Tyrone's leadership qualities a little bit. But um, when he's back, who do you partner him with? 
because for me, I'd, I'd put Courtney Hawes next to him. Um, you know, it worked in the championship until Twanzebe came back. Um, and and I think as well with, with, with McGinn missing, I think that Harahan does need to be in in the in the matchday squad. He needs to be in the matchday eleven. because um, if you've got to keep that core of, of, of you know Grealish, uh, obviously with McGinn injured, then instead Harahan, um, Mings and, and you know, why not the re- reignite the partnership between Mings and Hawes? I'd be happy with that. I really do like Courtney Horace as a footballer. I I just like the way he plays. He seems to be really calm back there. He is missing a bit of pace. That's the, probably the one thing that I can say about him. But he, he's he's a bigger guy, you know. So, but I like the I like how he performs in the air. He he performs smartly. He never tries to force it either. And you kind of saw it against Watford. He would start to make these little I don't know maybe five to eight yard runs forward with his head up, ball at his feet, and instead of like the we've seen from Tyrone Mings in the past this se- well like this season like games before he got injured. Tyra Mings would spray that ball forward no matter what. Horse kind of slows it down a little bit. If it's not there, he's not going to risk it. I like that kind of tactical approach. I like having the level head of being like, I'm not just going to punt this ball forward and lose possession. Let's try to recycle this maybe back to Heaton and get this going again and seeing if it works. So he's not trying to press the issue too much. He's looking for his spots. He's not trying to create his spots. Sometimes you need that in the heart of the defense, especially when you got a big injury like Villa have with Tyron Mings. But what about Hurrahan? You know, do you think he needs to be part of the starting eleven if McGinn's injured? I th- I think he should always be in the squad. I, I that's just my opinion. I I think that his stats speak for himself. Villa wins games where he plays in. Uh, he he scores goals. He's a level on set pieces. Yeah, he might not be this defensive midfielder that Dean Smith maybe envisioned him to be, and that's okay. Um, I th- I think that. He, he loves the club. I think he loves being here. He loves the support he gets. Yeah, he goes through a rough run of games sometimes. And he's like one of the players I was talking about before. He'll have a really, really good game. And then he kind of goes a little quiet the next one. Then, you know, kind of builds back into having a really, really good game. But for me, I don't think that there's a reason why Connor Horhane should not be in that midfield in some sort of capacity. I think for me, people say um, a lot of the time, perhaps they're not fans of Harahan, uh, but they say, oh, you know, he brings nothing but... Um, Set pieces, but those set pieces are necessary sometimes. You know, look at um, look at Newcastle. He scores with one and assists with another, both from set pieces. When we have Jack winning, um, fouls like here, there, and everywhere, we need Connor in that team, and I don't think there's any two ways about it because, you know, we we have to force midfield take. Uh, Sorry, corner takers, um, which at you know at times leaves Jack outside. Um, obviously, uh, taking the corner, which means he's not on the edge of the box, etc., etc. Um, and it leaves you know certain players a bit out of whack. And I think you know the the fact that he is so adept from set pieces can't be overlooked. And I think some people do that. Um, you know, they'll say, "Oh, he's only useful for his set pieces." But he's he's more useful than just his set pieces. But the set pieces are so useful that we can't ignore them. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I, I just think that he adds a, a different element, and it's. I don't know. It's it, it probably seems like I'm just like a fanboy of him because I do talk about him all the time. But it it's not just it's not just his set pieces and it's not just his free kicks. It's not just his goal scoring ability. I mean, he he carries insane amount of accurate passing percentages. He passes the ball really, really well. And for a midfield like Villa, where it seems a little disjointed at times, and now you have him again out with an injury. I mean, I'm looking at the stats right now. Like even at Watford, he had a 93 uh, percent passing passing accuracy. 
You know, against Norwich, it was 82. Against Southampton, 88. Against Liverpool, I mean, against it was against kids, but 89%. Chelsea, 80. His lowest was against Manchester United. He was only on the pitch for 84 minutes. I just think that he brings a different... It's just kind of like a little bit of a calmness that... If he's put into a position that's that's not great, he's going to find a way to pass himself out of it. And then you have the great things of the free kick opportunities of being able to be on the box for, or being on the edge of the box for corners and things of that. I just I just think that he has to be in the team. I think he's one of your better performers. I think he he finds a way to score goals. He he finds a way to find his secondary assist too. I know it's not a real like football statistic people think about, but it's it's one of those things. If you actually look at his secondary assist. Since he's been at Aston Villa, not only this year, he's he's a big proponent of that as well. I I I don't see a world where Conor Horahane hurts this team more than helps them if he gets uh, just consistent playing time. One thing I'm quite happy with is that he signed a new contract in the summer. Because if we were to go down, at least we can keep him in the Championship. Yeah, and I think he's a big part, no matter what. I I really do, and I don't think that I don't know. I'm not. I mean, you can probably tell by the way I'm talking on the podcast, but I'm I'm not in doom and gloom stage yet. Like, again, you have an entire January to get through. There are winnable games coming up. The football has been dire. I'm, I'm putting a massive amount of trust in Dean Smith to think that he can turn this around, make some tweaks, make some tactical decisions, um, get some players back from injury. That's a big thing, too. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm along for the ride and I just don't want the club making knee jerk reactions. This was always going to be a building process. It was always going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon to get this club back to where it belongs. So you got, you got to, you're going to have times like this. You're going to have downtrodden times. You got to keep the support high though. You got to, you got to keep cheering on everybody. Absolutely. And, uh, the next opponent for Villa, uh, comes on new year's day and that's Burnley. Villa will travel to turf more. Big shout out to anyone making the journey because Jesus Christ, you're going to be hungover. Um, <laughs> but you know, Villa have an opportunity to start the new decade in the new year with a way to get themselves out of this current funk that they're in. Um, and you know, hope hope is at its probably lowest uh, since returning to the Premier League for fans. Um, you know, Burnley have won two and lost three in their last five games. They're coming back off uh, off the back of a two 0 defeat to Man United. Um, they do have some important players. You know, Chris Wood is their their main scoring uh, goal scoring threat. Uh, Ashley Westwood, their joint assist leader, with four this season. Um, they've won five games at Turf Moor this season. I would love to keep piling on the misery for Villa. You know, what do you think is going to come from this game? Do Do you think there'll be any kind of uh, formational tactical changes, or is is it going to be more of the same? I'd like to see Dean keep going with the four two three one, but I think you got to get somebody in, in that middle central attacking mid that's going to actually have have the I guess you can say the balls to to play passes that you know that you need to play playing in that role. Um, I'm not saying it's complete abandonment on four four three, but I think that not only Dean but also the supporters need to see a plan B in case things don't happen. I don't think he comes out like something crazy like a formation with two strikers up top, but I do think that he starts to see that Villa. It's not working, and it may have been found out. So now's the time to where the management has to sit down and decide whether they're going to keep trying to drive this nail home and get these players playing four four or four three three in a manner that he envisions, or if it's going to be something where you, th- you throw out the book and try to start from somewhere else. But even that's going to be a little bit of a of a growing period. You're not just going to change formation and all of a sudden just catch some kind of red hot form either. You know. 
Yeah, and uh, b- before we we finish the the podcast for this week, um, a bit of news um, has, has has come out saying that we've placed a, a bid in for a Domagoj Vida, the Croatian centre back. Uh, obviously, World Cup finalist, um, real shit house defender. What do you make of that? You know, does it does it spell a possible formation change? Does it spell that we're perhaps not happy with some of our our signings? You know. What, what what does that that news make you feel? Uh, two things off the top of my head. It makes me feel that James Chester will not be an Aston Villa player past this season if they get a center back. Uh, it, and then the other one, it makes me feel like Dino might be now willing to go to the three at the back, two wing backs formation. We've seen other teams do that this season, and it's actually worked for them. Um, I'm not sure if it will work for Villa, but we've got an absolute panoply of defenders to choose from. I think one more center back would probably solidify the fact that we could go five at the back. Maybe if we're doing things like going against the top, you know, top four teams, top six teams, if you're just trying to scrape by and, you know, pack it in. So, you know, be more defensively stout and things of that nature. But I think this player specifically, I, I, like you said, he's a real shithouse type player. doesn't take any nonsense out there. Um, you know, I, I think Villa misses a little bit of an edge in the entire team. I think some of these boys are just a little too nice. And usually in the game of football, niceties don't get you very many places. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's um, he's, a, he's a bit of an older head as well. I think he's turning 31 soon. Um, so, you know, it's another bit of that leadership approach. And I wouldn't be surprised, let's say, let's say we make three signings. I, I could see a, a fairly young forward, you know, early 20s. Uh, mid twenties, and I can see a a holding midfielder or a central midfielder coming in. That's probably going to be close to thirty or above, and a centre back, hopefully Vida, um, who is obviously thirty or above. Yeah, I I think that the plan for Dean Smith and the plan that Perslow has said and Suso have said about buying younger, maybe Premier League inexperienced players, and then we'll, we'll see how they develop and giving them a, a platform to develop on. I think that sounds really cute, and I think that's very nice. Um, it, it, that's not me kind of being mean or you know just dismissive about it. I do think it sounds good. I think that's pretty much the modern way that a lot of teams try to build themselves up through all across the different leagues in England. But for me, you still need the experience of players that are still able to play on the pitch. And it's nice to have, you know, John Terry as an assistant manager. It's nice to have uh, James Chester hanging around the club and, and trying to get minutes, you know, here and there and when he can. But the fact of the matter is you need guys that are maybe a little bit older, a little bit meaner, a little bit more experienced, have been places, maybe have played for some teams that weren't very good and were part of, already a part of a little bit of a rebuild process. Because let's all face it, that is what is going on at Aston Villa right now. Um no matter what happened in the summer, how much money we spent, this is a project. This is not an overnight, let's get to the top echelons of football. It doesn't work that way. So I like the fact that we're bringing in older players. I like the fact that we're looking maybe at some younger players that have more of a goal-scoring impetus than Wesley did. Uh, I still feel like we can probably do with a winger, but again, that all depends on if Dino and the crew are going to change up the formation. But it's going to be it's going to be a fun January, man. You better, everybody just better strap in and see what it's about. Yeah, I'm ready for it. Um, hopefully everyone else is. Um, I know my, my fingers aren't with all the bloody uh, content we're going to have to write up, but you know, I'll, I've got New Year's and then uh, and then it's back to the the grindstone. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I, I think it is going to get a lot more interesting and a lot more exciting than people realize. It's just try to keep a level head about it. Don't don't get too down on the boys. They they know they suck. 
they know they're not doing too good right now. So, you know, they don't need to hear it. Stop adding them on Twitter and, you know, tagging them in posts and stuff like that. They get it. They know what's going on. Just have, have some faith, you know, to see if Dino and the boys can turn this thing around a little bit. Absolutely. And I think that's probably the best place to end this week's podcast. Um, thank you for listening. Obviously, uh, it's our first one back after just a few weeks. Um, hopefully, you all had a great Christmas. Uh, hopefully, you all enjoy uh, your new year and the new year is good to you. Uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please give us uh, you know a rating or a comment or a star rating, a like, whatever on whatever podcast you're listening uh, listening on. Sorry, whichever platform you're listening on. I think I just said whatever podcast you're listening on. Um, please uh, go over to our website, underagastitlamp.com, to keep up to date with all our content. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Villalamp, on Instagram, at underagastitlamp, and on Facebook, forward slash underagastitlamp. Thanks for listening, guys, and up the villa.